Welcome to the Halakha Hour here on J Root Radio Live. Today is Chav Zayin Ab Tavshin Ayin Hey, August, August 13th, 2015, and we are here live to, and a few more minutes. I know I get usually the text, Rabbi, you're late. I apologize. You know, some things we just can't get out of, uh, you know, it's in my nature, it's in my blood. It's very hard to get rid of it. I am Sfaradin. And uh, that adds to the fact, you know, time doesn't play. Okay, in any case, let me give you the numbers before we get to the class. Quickly, very, very quickly, the number to the studio, 718-683-5858. If you have a question to call in, you will be on the air unless you call after the show at 3 o'clock. And we'll be around. We'll be more than happy to answer any questions after the show. The text in your question is 347-927-8398 and... I may not have the text working right now in front of me. I don't see it in front of me working. If it does work, I'll be able to see all your texts eventually. But, Bazat Hashem, when we do see your text, we will be able to answer your questions. Today's class is sponsored, Lerfu'ashilema, of Rabbi Aaron Haim Ben Ruhama. We should pray for him that he should have a speedy recovery, Bazat Hashem, very, very soon. We are in Halachot of Mukseh Ben Ishai. Parashat Meket. Last week we left off, we had to kind of like cut off the class in the middle, and we left off speaking about mukseh with food. Food in general is not mukseh, and that is food that is edible. We mentioned last week food that's not edible, and what's called not edible. And we mentioned the halachot of meat, chicken, and fish, those halachot, and how they are applicable in our days. There is what the halakha says, and there's a reason for what the halakha says, and how they're applicable nowadays. It will be too long to go through it now, but we're continuing, we're leaving off from, we're picking up from where we left off, and that is the halakhot of mukseh by food. These two halakhot, mukseh by food, which we picked up from Parashat Pikudeh, we have to do the second halakha, which is found in Parashat Pikudeh, and jump right back to Parashat Mukeh. So... In case you're listening and you're following through with the book. So jump with me to Parashat Pikudeh, Halakha Yod. Ben Ishai brings over there the Halakha as follows. Betsa Shenolda Beshabbat. An egg that was born on Shabbat. What do you mean born? That means, you know, a chicken laid an egg on Shabbat. But the egg is forbidden. It's mukseh. Not only in eating it. Even moving it, the egg is forbidden. However, if you want to protect it, you don't want it that it should break, the chicken laid the egg and left, and now you want nothing to happen to it, so you can't pick it up. So what you could do is you may take a keli, you may take a utensil that is not mukseh, like a bowl, a glass bowl that's heavy, and you want to place it on top of the egg, then nothing should happen to the egg, that's mutar. On a condition, you have to be careful not to move the egg. In general, mukseh is permitted to be touched. Not to be moved, but to be touched. We already explained that. But in the case where touching the mukseh will certainly cause it to move, then it will be forbidden to even touch the mukseh. Here is such an example. An egg that's born on Yom to- on, on Shabbat. Since the egg is mukseh, so therefore touching it will move it for sure, it will inevitably move it, so therefore we cannot move the, we cannot touch even the mukseh when it's, uh, we, excuse me, we cannot even touch the egg because of its mukseh. 
One more line, this is very applicable if you have fruits growing in your backyard. Any fruits that have fallen off the tree on Shabbat, any fruits that came into Shabbat on a tree and now we had a storm or a wind, whatever it was, or even the kids were playing in the backyard or somebody by accident picked it off and they fell on the floor on Shabbat and you see now, beautiful, I have the fruits, may I eat the fruits now? They are edible. It's not like the egg, the egg is not edible. And the answer is no. The fruits, even though they're edible, since they fell on Shabbat, it becomes, it remains mukseh. Because it came into Shabbat mukseh, then it remains mukseh throughout the whole duration of Shabbat, even though right now it's, it's edible. It's, you know, it's, I can eat it. Let me de- define this last thing a little bit, and then we'll go into some practical examples. There's something known as Mukseh Mahmat Isur. Mukseh Mahmat Isur means that something that came into Shabbat, Mukseh, means to say, I couldn't have access to it. And the only way I would be able to have access to it on Shabbat is by doing something that's forbidden. Lemashal, the example that we gave right here in Benish Hai. I have fruits on a tree. When Shabbat came in, I look at my tree and I see the fruits. I want to eat from the fruit. Can I pick the fruit off the tree? And the answer is no. Picking the fruits off the tree is an isur de oraita. It's a biblical prohibition, which is, which is the isur of tolesh. One of the 39 melachot, it's tolesh. Even if I want to bite from the fruit on Shabbat, so I'm tolesh that part. I'm ripping off that part of the fruit that's also considered Picking a fruit off the tree and picking part of the fruit that's also tolesh, it's asur. Whether I bite it off or I pull it off, it's asum in torah. So therefore, that fruit is inaccessible to me. It becomes mukseh, mukseh mahmat isur. Not so much our subject, in because we said we're not going to focus so much on this halakha, maybe when we get to it. But in any case, just to understand the halakha right now, we need to know this concept called mukseh mahmat isur. Now, what happened is on Jabat, something happened. Uh, the wind came, it was a storm. My kids were playing in the backyard. All the examples that we gave before, you could come up with all your own examples. What happened is that the fruits fell down, and now I have access to it. I don't have to do a melachat to get to the fruit anymore. I don't have to rip it off the tree and commit an isur. No, it's right there. It's accessible. Can I eat it? And the answer is no. Why? There's a concept. We need to know this concept. It will help us always. It's good to know this concept, but especially in the Achot and we will get to it hopefully today. And that is... What the Gemara calls migu Once it becomes mukseh for the time of ben hashmashot, ben hashmashot is that period of time between sunset and the three stars, which we call Shabbat already. Once the sun sets, we already said for all halachic reasons, pretty much that is Shabbat. So once the sun sets, the, we look at the fruit then. What was its status then when, the, when Shabbat came in? Since its status when Shabbat came in was that it was on the tree, which means it was Mukseh Mahmat Isur, since I could only access it by doing an Isur. So there re- it remains for that status throughout the whole duration of Shabbat. It remains Mukseh Mahmat Isur, even though it came down and not because I did anything to it. I didn't tell my kids to play in the backyard. I didn't tell Hashem that he should make it windy and stormy and another possible hurricane, Hashem Shalom. Right? It just fell by itself. 
doesn't make a difference. It still remains mukseh, and even though I'm not doing any melacha, but the status of mukseh does not leave the food. Okay? That's very important. The Ben Sahai just adds over here, even though it's a safik, which we would say maybe perhaps safik de rabbanan lekula, Ben Sahai is mahmir anyway, he's stringent, and he says, even if you're not sure if this fruit was on the tree before Shabbat or was off the tree from before Shabbat, and now you came on Shabbat and you saw it on the tree, for all you know in your mind, you had in mind that these fruits are not accessible to you. You thought that they are on the tree. So in your mind, you made them mukse. You thought that they're not available. That's what mukse is, like we explained in the first class. Mukse is from the word kits. It's at the end, it's the end of your mind. You're not planning to use it. Therefore, even if you have a doubt, since in your mind you plan that they should be not usable for Shabbat, they remain mukse. The Benish high. Pointed out over here. Now we're going to go back to Pashat Mekis, but before we leave, I just want to clarify something. Benazai pointed out over here that an egg is mukseh when it's born on Shabbat. What about raw eggs I have in my fridge? I brought on Friday. Or not Friday, whatever. You know, I bought them before Shabbat. They're not born on Shabbat. I have them in my house. I bought them once when I went shopping at Moishis. So now what's the status of raw eggs? Are raw eggs in general mukseh or only if it's born on Shabbat? And the answer to that is, no, raw eggs are edible. Even though, even though, if a goy would cook for me a, an, a raw egg, he would take a raw egg and cook it for me, it would be considered bishul akuma, as Subhanallah brings in your da'a. But that's as far as hilchot bishul akum. We can't combine, you know, sometimes people have an issue. I, I come across some certain people, Baruch Hashem, they like to learn, but they'll take one halakha and they'll apply it in every single area in Subhanallah. In all categories, you know, Baruch Hashem, we have many, many categories in Shohan Aruch, and not everything is comparable. Some things are comparable, but not everything is comparable. You have to know when and where you could compare it. So, an egg that's raw is, cannot be cooked by a goy for you, because you normally don't eat it raw. However, as far as the mukse status of a food, it doesn't go by what's normally eaten, what's not normally eaten, but rather it goes by if it's possible to be eaten. It's any worse from raw meat that we mentioned last week, which Halakha says, some people, it's possible, not everybody, but some people do eat it. Same thing would be over here with raw eggs. Raw eggs, yeah, it's possible for people to eat it. Some people do eat it, yeah, hazani, maybe they'll swallow it. Is it a common thing? No. Would you do it? Maybe not. It doesn't go by you. It doesn't go by what's common. But if it's possible, it's possible, and it's, it could be done. So therefore, it's not considered mukseh. And not only that, you could even take the raw egg, and mix it with other foods, kind of like a spice. I, I'm not the expert here in how to make uh, all these different things. I could spice my chalant, and that's as good as I could get. But more than that, you know, you leave it to the experts. But I did see that brought down, that if you take a raw egg, you can mix it with other foods. I believe Hochani says that. So therefore, if you have a raw egg in your house, it is not mukseh, which means you see a raw egg on the table, you want to move it, even if it's raw, you don't have to make sure if it's cooked or not, you can pick it up. It's not mukseh since it can be eaten, it can be even mixed with other foods. Even though it's, it can, let's say you're going to tell me, you're going to argue and say, hold on, but you can't eat it by itself, it doesn't make a difference. Nobody eats spice by itself. You don't take all spice and you just sit there and munch on it. And if you do, <laughs> okay, I don't know what to tell you. But you know, people don't normally do that and it's not ra'ui for that. Yet, the status of spices is that it's okhil, it's food, it could be eaten, even though it could, be, it could only be eaten by mixing with other foods, the raw egg is not any worse. 
if I can mix it with other foods and it will be edible, therefore, it is not mukse. I'll give you a few other examples of this. That although by itself, maybe I won't come to eat it by itself, but if I mix it with other things, it will be edible. For example, coffee powder. We all have coffee. Is coffee mukse? Then you tell me, uh, coffee, uh, leave the issue of bishu. We're talking about instant coffee, which has no issue of bishu right now. So, first of all, coffee could be eaten by the way, by itself. Forget the fact that I could mix it with water and then have coffee, which is for sure going to be making mutar. But even without this fact, the, even if I, the, just the mere fact that I could mix it with other foods, like sugar. If I mix coffee with sugar, that's, that's food. Believe it or not, in the olden days, and the olden days, by the way, I mean, even my days, I'm not such an old guy, but even in my days when I was a little kid in Syria, I remember they used to put coffee. Now, that was even Turkish coffee, which is even harder to, you know, make. Instant coffee could be done in coffee, but the Turkish coffee, you actually have to cook it. But they would put it together with sugar, and they would eat it. It is edible. Do we do it today? No, because we have Hershey's, and we have Klein's, and we have Libras, and we have all the Gishmaka food, so we don't need them. But it can be done. It is edible. And therefore, even Turkish coffee, which people do not make on Shabbat because you might actually have to cook it, possibly, I'm not going into the Halchot Bishul, I'm careful in how I'm saying it, but still, it's not going to be considered mukse because it could be mixed with other foods and it could be um, eaten or drank on Shabbat. Same thing would be for cocoa powder. Cocoa powder also, even though people may not eat cocoa powder, but it's edible. It could be in. It could be mixed with water. It could be mixed with, with hot water and, be, and you'll have hot cocoa on Shabbat. It also becomes food or it's food that's edible and therefore it takes it out of the status of mukse. Another example, even though things that we may not eat, but it's raui, it could be eaten. There's a halakha that Ahead of Shabbat, we may not eat any matzah that we can can be yotze with on Lil Pesah. That's Ahead of Pesah. If Ahead of Pesah falls out on Shabbat, so we cannot eat matzah that day, you know, after you know, after the time Hamid, the whole day, excuse me. But still the matzah does not become mukseh, because although I may not eat it, but it is edible. Only the matzah that I'm planning to use for that night, specifically the ones, the handmade ones that I was very careful that I was careful with that I'm planning to use just for that night, only is mukse. But any other regular matzah, even though I may not have it, but since little children can have it, and for sure I could give it to a goy, so therefore it's not going to be mukse. The why is then the matzah that I'm going to use for Lil Pesach Mukse? And the answer is because matzah that I'm planning to use for Lil Pesach, I won't give it to a little child. It's so expensive. Uh, um, I worked for it. I paid so much money for it. I'm going to eat it. I won't give it to somebody else. I only want to eat it for mot- on, on Lil Pesach. And therefore, it is Mukse, but not the regular matzot. Even though I cannot eat it and little kids in general cannot eat it. But little, little kids, very, very young children who don't understand, since they could eat regular matzah, a goy could eat regular matzah, even though it could be, it could be ra'ui to be eaten for lil Pesach as a mitzvah, it's still not mukse. Here's another example. Now we're talking about Pesach. Rice, cooked rice, cooked rice on Pesach for Ashkenazim who do not eat rice. It's not mukse for them, even though they don't eat it. It's not mukse. It's kind of like if you eat meat, if you ate meat already, you're allowed to move a bottle of milk. Why? Because somebody else who didn't eat meat, was not flesh, could have milk. 
It's ra'ui. It's somebody else could eat it. And therefore, it's still in the category of food. Likewise, Pesach and uh, Ashkenazi, Hasbe Shalom, finds rice in his house. It's okay. Give it to us as Faradim. We'll eat it. We'll make beracha. We won't eat in your house. Don't worry. Kidniyot. Those are not mukseh. Why? Because it could be eaten by someone. Same thing. A lot of poskim, not everybody, but a lot of poskim bring also when it comes to rice, excuse me, medicine. Medicine is also not mukseh. Achamabadiyah has a whole lot of chut on this. And he explains that rice, excuse me, not rice, medicine is not mukseh. Why? Because people are sick, could have medicine. And since they could have medicine, so therefore it's ra'ui, it's befitting. Somebody could have it. It doesn't have the status of mukseh, and one could move medicine if it's necessary. There are some who are mahmirim. We'll talk about them maybe a little bit later on. Now we move on, and we go back, really. We move on, but we go back. We go back to halachot uh, mukseh in Parashat Meketz, in the Ben Yishai. And from halakha, you were up to halakha yod. The whole parashat is only... Tet Zain, which means 16 halachot. We don't have so many halachot left. From halachayut to halachat tetvav, it's one theme. And that is mukseh, something that becomes mukseh on Shabbat. Something which maybe entered Shabbat as not mukseh, and it became mukseh on Shabbat. This is the subject from halachayut to halachat tetvav. Some very interesting and important halachot. They may seem, Rabotai, they may seem like Oh, it's uh, not applicable nowadays, but no, they are very, very applicable. As we'll see when we get to the practical applications, very applicable. And not only that, these halakhot are so important in the laws of mukseh. I'm not exaggerating when I tell you that there are hours, it took me hours to word exactly how to give this class. Hopefully, is that the same with the time that we have left? I know I came late. But there a lot of hours just to word it so it could be clear that we should understand exactly how to apply the halakhot on our own. We'll begin, first of all, with Halakha Yod. We'll read it from the inside. Halakha Yod is basically a combination of a few Halakhot together in, that Ben Ishaq brings in one. We'll analyze each one, and then we'll explain. We might jump in the middle, but we'll explain. But we'll come out with some uh, practical and applicable cases. Let's begin. Kol Hakelin. Basically, what we're talking about is things that break on Shabbat. What would be their status on Shabbat? These are known in halakha as shibrekelim, broken utensils. What would be their halakha? Let's read it from the Ben Shabbat. Any utensil that breaks, even if it breaks on Shabbat, the broken pieces can be moved as long as it can be used for something. They have to have some sort of usage. You have to be able to use it for something. For example, let's say, uh, in their days, you know, a, uh, what's it called? A wooden plate broke. So now what are you going to do? You can't use it as a plate, but fine. But you can use the broken pieces maybe to cover a bottle, right? So since it can be used as a cover for a bottle, or if it's, we're talking about a bigger dish, let's say the chair broke, right? a wooden chair broke, so it can use the piece to cover a barrel, since it has some sort of usage, then they're not mukseh. You can pick it up. It's not a problem. However, but if they break in a way that you can't figure out anything to do with them, they're not ra'ui. They can. They, you cannot use them for anything. Then they become mukseh. Even though it was created on Shabbat, they become mukseh. 
Okay, let's give you a few examples, okay? Vessels that have to completely break. That means when we say break, you cannot use a vessel the way it used to be. We gave an example of a wooden plate. We gave the example also of a wooden chair. That's just a few examples. Let me give you some maybe practical examples nowadays. For some reason, and it happens, your kids are climbing on the bookcase, and how many times did you tell them, don't go on the bookcase? We got it from... I don't want to say from here, right? We didn't pay expensive furniture. You know, our in-laws didn't buy for us. And they go, and guess what happens? They used to go when they were three years old, and nothing was wrong because they were not so heavy. Now they became five, seven years old. And guess what? The shelf broke. The shelf broke on Shabbat. So now that shelf, what's the status of that shelf? Could you use it as a shelf anymore? No. So it should be mukse, right? However, the Halakha of Shabbat Kalim tells me that since the shelf came into Shabbat, as not being a muqsed, as, as being just a regular keli, as long as there's something that I can use the shelf for, it will be considered a keli, which means it does not become muqsed. And therefore, the shelf, what could it be used for? I'll give you 10 seconds. Okay, time is up. You know what the shelf could be used for? The shelf could be, or the broken shelf, can be used to make a smaller shelf. You have a three-foot shelf, and now it's broken half. You can use it for a smaller shelf. Or you can use it as a paperweight. You have napkins on the table, and the AC is blowing, or the fan is blowing, and the napkin is flying all over the place. What do you do? You take a napkin holder or something, and you put it on it. So you could take the broken shelf and put it on it. Would you do it? Probably not, but doesn't make a difference. Actually, we'll talk about if it makes a difference or not. But since it could be done... That's all I need. That's all I need to save it from becoming mukse. Another example. A metal picture frame. A metal picture frame falls and breaks. I'm not talking about the glass right now. Leave the gla- I'll get to the glass part in a second. A metal picture f- frame breaks. The kids were playing ball in the house or they're playing with their little brother and they threw the brother on the wall and boom, the metal frame came down. It broke. And now I have... The broken glass, it's shattered all over the floor. And I have the metal frame that broke. The metal frame itself, even though it's broken, it cannot be used anymore as a frame. But still, the pieces themselves can be used for something. For example, if it's a heavy metal thing, it can be used, guess what, as a napkin holder. Paperweight. You could hold it, even if I don't use it. But it can be used, therefore it doesn't lose its status of mukseh. I'm excuse me, it doesn't lose the status of a keli, and it does not become mukseh. Good? However, the second part of the halakha, which is the glass, that's what the Binish High talks about over here, right? The glass has no purpose. When glass breaks, that's it. You can't use it for anything else. So therefore, technically, technically, the glass pieces that fell all over the floor are mukseh. Why? What am I going to use with a small little piece of glass? Nothing. And I know what you're saying. But Rabbi, it's dangerous. You are right. I hold on. I didn't finish the halakha. 100% it's dangerous. And that's the next part of the halakha. The Ben Yishai explains. When we said that the broken pieces that have no usage whatsoever are mukseh, that only is what... When do we say it's mukseh? That's only if they're not going to be damaging. However, if they're not going to be damaging, 
if they fell and they broke in a place where they could hurt someone, they could damage someone, it's hazardous. For example, he says over here, anything that's glass, you're allowed to pick up the mukseh with your own bare hands. There's no isur mukseh. Would you do it? I don't know. Ask your doctor. But you're allowed to pick up the mukseh with your own bare hands. They're not mukseh. Why? Because they're dangerous. That's a very important halakha. Something that's dangerous, something that's dangerous when it falls down, even though there's no usage words, and therefore there are technically should have been mukseh, in such a case, they're not hachamin, the rabbis were not gozeh, they're not decree against them to become mukseh, and you can move them with your own hands. Let's give an example. You have a nice glass cup, crystal could be, and it falls on the floor, and it shatters, and it breaks. Guess what? What's the halakha? The halakha is, well, what do you think about it? Glass. Could you use it for anything? The broken pieces of a cup. Could you use it for anything? And the answer is no. So they should have a mukseh. However, because it's glass and it's sharp, people could step on it and a lot of people walk barefoot. So therefore, the halakha is that it is not mukseh. You can even pick it up with your hands. Of course, if you can pick it up with your hands, you can also brush it with a broom and clean it up. You don't have to get a goy for it. Certainly you could get a goy, but even you could pick it up with your own bare hands, pick up the big glass piece and throw it away in the garbage or whatever you want to get rid of it. Good? That's very important to keep in mind. However, Ben Ishai says, if something breaks, but it's not dangerous, then he says over there, you're not allowed to move them. He cannot move them if they don't have any purpose. He says over here, talking about, he brings an example of heris, of uh, clay, something that's made out of clay material, or uh, what we, I don't know if it's called China, because China really is glazed and has a little glass, but it all depends on the subject. Let, we gave the example of a wooden plate, right? A wooden plate that breaks. So that's, you can't use it anymore. Let's say you can't use it, you have no purpose. It can be a paperweight, it can be anything, you can't cover it. So then in that case, it is mukseh, and since it's not going to hurt anybody, you can't pick it up with your hands. Maybe you could kick it to the side, but you cannot go ahead and pick it up with your hand. I am going to interrupt over here for a second. Because it's a short halakha, and it's connected really over here. And then come back and continue on this halakha. I'll say that outside. Ben says that the Gemara, when it talks about something that breaks on Shabbat, as long as you have some sort of usage for it, that's only regarding something that came into Shabbat as a keli. It came into Shabbat as a utensil, like your wooden shelf. It came as a utensil. Your picture frame, it came as a utensil. It has a purpose. It was a keli in halakha. And then on Shabbat it broke. So therefore, as long as we find some sort of usage for it, it's still considered a keli. However, if something came into Shabbat not as a keli, even though you may figure out a usage for it, you cannot use it now on Shabbat because it came in as mukseh. Let me give you an example. Stones. Right? You have stones or pieces of wood. Those are things that are called mukseh Muhammad gufo. Beams. Could you use a beam to maybe hold a door open? Could you use a beam maybe to lock the door to make sure nobody comes into your house? Could you, piece of, could you use a piece of stone to hold up, you know, to, to make a uh, shaky chair steady or sturdy? And the answer is, yeah, it could be used for it. But since I didn't use it for it before Shabbat, it came to Shabbat as a stone, as a beam, as a piece of wood. Then when Shabbat comes in, even though now I came up with the idea, now on Shabbat, 
That's it. It came as muksei, it remains muksei. This heter of allowing you to use broken pieces when it's used for something, when it could be used for something, is only for something that came to Shabbat as a keli and it broke on Shabbat. Okay, now we go back to halakha yud. Just wanted to get this halakha out of the way. I have a question. question is like this, it's brought in the halakha. What's the status of a shibre kelim? Meaning to say, you know, we already learned there's six categories of mukseh and four that we're dealing with. Meaning to say, klis mechtole isur, mukseh mahmat hesron kis, klis mechtole heter, or mukseh mahmat gufo. What would be the status now of a utensil, like, let's say, you know, something that's mukseh, klis mechtole isur. Let's say broke on Shabbat, somehow broke on Shabbat, and now... It can be used for something that's mutar. Does it convert now from klishim lachtole isur into klishim lachtole heter, and therefore I'll be able to move it even for no unnecessary reason, like klishim lachtole heter is? Or do we say no? It remains the way it is. That's the way it came into Shabbat. Klishim lachtole isur remains that way. And the answer is that depends what the case is. In the case of klishim lachtole isur. If it broke on Shabbat, and now the pieces can be used for something like a paperweight or to hold the table or to cover a, a pot with it. So in that case, we have a mahalog between the pre-megadim who says it's fine, it becomes like a klishim lachtole heter, and the aliyah rabbah who says, no, it remains it's klishim lachtole isur. The ahronim, as though the biur halakha, minuhat both of them bring the pre-megadim lehalakha, which means that's who they go with, that when it converted now that broke, it converted from kli shmechtole isur and turns into kli shmechtole heter. However, in a case where something came into Shabbat as muqseh mahmat hasron kis, for example, you have an iPad, and the kids were grabbing something off the shelf and the iPad fell and it cracked in half. So the iPad before Shabbat was muqseh mahmat hasron kis. You couldn't move it for any purpose. Now that broke, and it didn't shatter all over the place, it's not dangerous, but now what's the status of the broken pieces? Technically, they could be used as a paperweight. I've been, you know, I'm not talking about the new one air, you know, but the old ones, a little bit heavier. You could use it as a paperweight. Could you now pick it up and move it as a paperweight? And the answer is no. When it's Muqseh Mahmat Hasron Kis, since it came into Shabbat broken, I'm excuse me, since it came into Shabbat as Muqseh Mahmat Hasron Kis, and it was therefore forbidden to move, even let's talk about it remains that way throughout the Shabbat. That's the rule that we mentioned earlier. Since it was Mukseh by Ben Hashemashot, it's Mukseh throughout the Shabbat. This iPad came in as Mukseh Mahmat Hasronkis by Ben Hashemashot and it remains that way throughout the whole Shabbat. The next point we want to clarify is... The halakha, part of the halakha that the Ben Ishai said over here, that if something breaks like glass, if it's in a place that's dangerous, then you can move it. It doesn't have, it doesn't become mukse. You can move it, you can actually pick it up with your hands, even though there's absolutely no usage for it. Examples of things that may break on Shabbat that I believe, you know, you, you know, some of them may be, you know, you, you'll have your own opinion about it, and maybe you find poskim certain ways here and there, but examples that are I believe, I don't think anybody will argue, but things that are dangerous are the following. 
if you have glass plates or cups when they break and they shatter all over the place. Or if you have, let's say, you know, the glass of the picture frame that we mentioned beforehand. Same idea. Or if you have a knife that breaks. You know, sometimes you're cutting and the knife may not be so good. And as you're pressing on the knife and the knife just breaks in your hand. So now there's no usage for it. You can't use it. It's a sharp knife. You can't use it regularly. And the handle is also not, not able to be used. So the handle itself, could, it be, could you figure out a way to use it? If you can, if there's something that it could be used for, let's say it's a heavy handle, so it could be used like a paperweight. It's not mukse. But if it cannot be, it doesn't have a, you know, there's nothing that it really could be used for. So then it is mukse. You cannot pick it up and it's not dangerous. The other part of the knife, which is a sharp metal part, that there's really no usage for it. But it's still not mukse. Why? Because the sharp part is sharp and dangerous. Yes, especially if you have little kids on it. If you don't have little kids on it, sometimes you're grabbing, you're trying to reach out, you reach something on the table and you might come and slice your finger and it's very, very easy with a sharp knife for a person to get a cut. It can be dangerous. Yes, open wounds in the hospital, ask any doctor. Open wounds are, they could be sakana. By the way, this sakana over here doesn't have to be that's life-threatening. Life-threatening cases on Shabbat? You don't need, here we're trying to override the Isur of Mukse. A sharp knife or glass that breaks. We're saying that's not Mukse. Mukse is Dirabanan. We're trying to override the Isur Dirabanan. When it's dangerous, so you can do an Isur Dirabanan of moving it. Hakamim, we're not going to say that's Mukse. If it's life threatening, whoa, that, I don't need Mukse only. I could drive a car. Driving a car is Deoraita. The fire is burning in the engine. I could do all sorts of Isur Deoraita. For something that is life-threatening, even if it's suffix, even if I'm in doubt, I'm not sure it could be life-threatening or not, I, a, a person could and should do an Isidoraita to save a Jewish life or to prevent a person from getting into a situation of a life-threatening situation. Of course, it's a mitzvah. So therefore, we have to point out that what we're talking about over here is something that's dangerous. It's not life-threatening, but it's dangerous. You can get a cut from it. That's also dangerous. Halakha brings down that when something like glass breaks and it's bimakom hezek derabim, it's in a place where many people could get hurt from it, it is mutar to move it because it's not mukse. What is considered rabim over here? So, Rav Shomu Zaman Orbach says that we could, based on the Gemara, it's brought down that it could be even three people. Even three people qualify to make the place a place of rabim, and therefore you can move it. The Huchani Rabbi Nisim Tobim, he explains that when we need three people, when we need makom rabim, that's only to do other isudirbana like carrying in an area known as karmelit. But to override the isur of mukseh, even if it's for one person, it can be dangerous for one person, and certainly if it's for children, then you could move it. It doesn't have a problem of mukse. So therefore, if my glass cup breaks in a place where there's even one person that may walk barefoot, and has shalom, it could get into his body, it could cut him, then we can move it. And certainly if I have little children around. Another point is that Ramadan Karelitz points out that you can't have... Uh, you can't. You can't just go ahead. By the way, and pick up all these glass pieces. If there's another way, if there's a way to avoid it, meaning to say, the heter 
of moving broken pieces because they're dangerous, it's only as a secondary option. If you have a way to close a room and nobody should go in there, then close the room. If you have a non-Jew that could clean it up, get a non-Jew to clean it up. If you have, now, if you're scared, by the way, you're going to wait till they bring a non-Jew to clean it up and it's going to be, uh, people might walk on it and have to wait. Now you have a housekeeper in the house. You're in the dining room. She's in the living room. So you say, excuse me, could you come here and clean it up? You know, that's two seconds. She might even be faster than you, right? So of course, you should get Nanju to do it. If you want to sweep, if you could sweep it up or carry it in a way that's not the normal way of moving it, therefore avoiding having to override the mukseh, that should be the approach to take. The heter, though, applies even things that could be potentially hazardous. You have, a, let's say, a fluorescent light bulb. And for some reason or another, I don't know, you're changing light bulbs before Shabbat and you left it alone. You left it in the dining room. Now you come and it's Shabbat and it's right there. You have kids are coming over. You have your nieces, nephews, your grandchildren are coming over. And it's not dangerous yet. But you know that all you need is a little bit of, you know, touch. All you have to do is somebody to touch that little, that, that what's called that light bulb. And all of a sudden it'll shatter all over the place and it can be dangerous. Even that qualifies for something that's called hezek, and therefore you can move it. The fluorescent light, if it's in a place that could be dangerous, you could pick it up and move it before it comes to the actual situation where it's actually dangerous. Another example is that, let's say the item in itself is namukse, but it could be dangerous. I'm allowed to move something that's mukse to save people from the item. An example. Let's say I have in my backyard a deep pit. Somebody falls in it, it could hurt himself, he could trip on it and break a, uh, you know, some, some limbs or rip something. So therefore, I could take something to cover that pit in my backyard, even though the item that I could, the only item that I could find is a mukse item. That is halakha. I could even pick up something that's mukse. That I could pick up something, excuse me, I could pick up something that's mukse to cover a deep pit in my backyard because I'm again, I'm, what I'm doing is I'm avoiding a place, I'm avoiding a dangerous situation for other people. Finally, one last thing before we move on, and that is spiritual danger. Spiritual danger, spiritual hazardous things, you cannot. Uh, override mukse to move them. What's an example? We learned that if you cut your nails, you should make sure you throw them out, you dispose of them, because if you dispose of them, uh, is dispose of them mean to say, like, put them in the toilet or, uh, you know, burn them. Don't burn them in public, you know, or in your house. That's a little dangerous. Anyway, but you can throw them in the toilet. Why? Because if a pregnant woman has her son steps on something that uh, on a nail that was cut from a person's body, it could be dangerous. She could have a miscarriage. But that's a spiritual danger. It's not a physical danger. You don't see it necessarily, right? It's something that rabbis told us. That spiritual danger does not qualify for this hezek or avoiding, overriding this isur of mukseh, which means somebody cut his nails before Shabbat and you come in the bathroom, you see nails all over the place. You can't pick them up and move them. Because, you know, you have somebody pregnant over you. Why? Because 
it's not a physical danger. They only material this only for non-physical danger. I mean, only for physical danger, not for spiritual danger. What do you do in such a case? It is, you know, you don't want any lady to have a miscarriage. So very simple. We already explained that if you have a nail from your body that fell on the floor, all you have to do is blow on it, move it from its place, and it doesn't have the same effect. Same thing over here. You could kick the nails out of the way. Once you, they moved from the place that they landed, it's not a problem of mukse. You could sweep them up a little bit to the side. Then it's not mukse anymore. Then, excuse me, then it's not dangerous anymore for any lady that steps on it. And this way you avoid having to override the isur of mukse. Let's finish this halakha yud. Halakha yud, we bring one more case. And the case is when something, two more cases, sorry, two more dinim. If something broke, I'm not going to read inside because of the time. If something broke from before Shabbat. If something broke before Shabbat. Let's say you have kelim, utensils, that broke before Shabbat came in. In that case, already, you, they came into Shabbat as broken pieces. Even though there's something what to do with it, but those pieces since they came to Shabbat broken, and you're about to throw them out, you're going to throw them out. If you did throw them out, then they become mukseh, there's nothing to do with them, that's it. The hetar is only for things that broke on Shabbat, since they were kelim when Shabbat came in, then they don't lose the status of kelim as long as they have some sort of usage. The last deen that's in this big halakha is, I'm going to say it again outside, this only applies when the whole utensil broke, completely. But if something is still intact, and a piece of it broke on Shabbat, then it has a different halakha. Then the halakha is that that piece must be able to work, or must have the same function as the item, it's the original utensil that did not break. Let me explain this. It sounds a little confusing. Let's say you have, for example, a chair, a dining room chair. It has an armrest. You're sitting on Shabbat, you're leaning on it, you had a little bit too much chalent, and you're leaning on your armrest, and all of a sudden the, item, the, the armrest falls. What could you use the armrest for now? Nothing. You can't use it. Actually, there's something you can use it for. You can use it as a paperweight. It's heavy. You can use it as a paperweight. You can use it perhaps to hold up the door. But since it fell off from the chair, and the chair is still intact, and the chair can be used, so the item becomes now mukse. It only a broken piece from a keli, shabre kelim are only mutar when they have a new usage. That's only if the old usage is gone. But if they have if they break, they must retain the same usage as beforehand. So let's say you have, for example, a tray, a big tray, and a piece of the tray broke off. If you could still pick up with the other broken piece of the tray, then the halakha is that since both of them can be used to hold something in it. It's still not mukseh because it retains its old function. I think we had enough examples of this halakha. I want to move on now to halakha yudbet, the halakha of a broken needle. I know a lot of people may be thinking at this point, what in the world is going on over here? Who is using shabrek elim? Now this halakha will put everything together. There's a halakha in Shohana Ruch, it's from the Gemara. Regarding a needle, Ben Ishai brings it almost word for word from the Shohan Aruch and the Ahronim. I cannot read it inside because of the limited time that we have, but we'll say it outside. A needle, what's the status of a needle? Usually a needle is used to sew things together. 
So therefore, a needle is klish menachtole isur. Can a person move a needle on Shabbat? And the answer is, well, let's see, every klish menachtole isur, what's the halacha? Chaz mutal letzorich mekomor gufo. So if you have a splinter, and you know that you probably won't bleed or you're not sure if it's going to bleed or not, so in that case, you can take a needle and take out the splinter. Right? If you want to pin two things together, so you can do the same thing. You can take a, the, the pin or the needle and stick two things, two clothing together. That would be fine on Shabbat. It's klisim achtole sur. And it could be mutal, it's sort of gufol, sort of mekomo. What about if the needle or the pin breaks on Shabbat in a way that you can't use it? What do you mean you can't use it? You can't use it as a needle. For example, the sharp part of the needle breaks. Now what are you going to do? You can't use it to take out any splinters from your body. You can't use it to pin things together. Does the needle become muksa or not? Well, based on what we learned, anything, any shebrek kelim, any kelim that usually used, the, the, any kelim that comes to Shabbat as a kelim, and it breaks on Shabbat, so long as it can be used for something, then it shouldn't lose the status of mukse. It shouldn't lose the status of keli, and it should not be mukse. So in our case, we should say normally, under the normal rules that we just learned, is that the needle, if I can figure out some sort of usage for it, then it would be mutar for me to use it even on Shabbat. However, Halakha is not that way. Halakha says that if a needle lost its sharp part on Shabbat, even if it lost it on Shabbat, that's it. It's mukse. You cannot use it. You cannot pick it up. And the question is, how come? That's a question of Magin Abraham. What is the difference between a needle that breaks on Shabbat to a plate or a picture frame that breaks on Shabbat? Why by the picture frame you told me I could use it as a paperweight? And by the needle, you told me that even though I could figure out something to use for the needle, now that's it, this book say. Even if I could come up with something that I could use a broken needle for. That is the question of the Magen Abraham. He brings two answers, and he seems to go with the second answer, and that's certainly the answer that the Mishnah Barah also goes with, and it's an important answer, and this is going to bring up a very, very practical difference. The needle loses its status of a keli because the norm of the norm of the people is when a needle breaks, they usually dispose of it. They throw it in the garbage. However, says the Magen Abraham, by the other kelim, by any other utensil, when that breaks, people will figure out something else to use with it. And therefore, they do not become mukseh. So it goes on what the norm of the people, not the norm of you, but the norm of the people. People usually don't just throw out things in those days, they'll use it for something else. Not so by needing something small, insignificant. When it breaks, people will throw it out and it's over. Based on what we just said, you know what that means? That means this whole head tear of anything that breaks on Shabbat should be down the drain. Why? When was the last time something broke and you used it? When it's broken. Not to fix it. Of course, you could want to fix it or something else. Something broke and you can't fix it. And then you use the broken pieces for something else. When was the last time that happened? You probably have to think about it. And if you probably have to think about it and come up with only once or two times that this happened, then that tells you already of what the norm in our days is. And that's, therefore, there's a question. The post-scheme in our days deal with the following question. 
Do we say that this heter of Shabrei Kalim is down the drain, it's all in the garbage, and therefore we should not be able, even if vessels break on Shabbat, we should not be able to use it. So this whole example that I gave of the picture frame that breaks on Shabbat, or the bookcase or the, the shelf on the bookcase that breaks on Shabbat, there should be muksa. I shouldn't be able to pick it up, even though I can use it as a paperweight. And that is really the opinion of Shevet Halevi, of Shalom of Zatzal. That's also the opinion of the, uh, the Sefer Shalmei Yehuda, bringing the name of Big Poskim, Peskei Chuvot, also go, seems to go that way as well. However, I found that Hakam brings the Halakha of Shebrei Kelim, Without, and Hakam Abadiyah was not written so long ago, and Hazan Abadiyah, we're not talking about in his Cheshubot, we're talking about in Hazan Abadiyah. In Hazan Abadiyah, Hakam Abadiyah writes this halakha that if a vessel breaks, let's say your hanger breaks or, or a picture frame breaks, he says you can use it. as long as there's something to, that you could use it for, Samukseh. Menuhat Abba also brings the same halakha. These frames are not written so long ago. Hochani! who lives in our days, says the same thing. But he explains, what's the difference? How come by Shebrei Kelim, they don't lose his status? He argues with Shevet Halevi. He argues with the other poskim who hold. In our days, things changed. He says, no. The item, the Shebrei Kelim, let's say the picture frame, or the bookcase, let's use that. The shelf on the bookcase, when that breaks, since the, the bookcase, really the shelf, can be used now as, let's say, a paperweight. It can be used to use for a smaller shelf. Would we use it? No. You know why we don't use it? Not because there's anything wrong with the shelf. It's just we're so spoiled today. We have so many things better to use, so we don't use it. So we get rid of it because we have something better to use for it. So it doesn't make the broken shelf any worse now. It's still a keli. I won't use it because I have something better to use, but it still shouldn't lose its status of a keli. Not so by the needle. The needle, once it breaks, there's nothing to use it for anymore. I have to come come up with some sort of creation to figure out a way to use it. And therefore he concludes that it doesn't make a difference if it's a needle or anything else. If it breaks on the Shabbat, on Shabbat to the point that I have to figure out or create some sort of way to use it, then it's mukseh. But if the item that breaks on Shabbat is really something that can be used and is fit to be used for something, like the case of a bookshelf, I could use it for a smaller bookshelf. I can use it as a paperweight, so then it's not Consider Muqsay, even though the norm is that we throw it in the garbage. And let's just give you a last few examples, and we'll finish with this. You have a dustpan on Shabbat that breaks. What's a halakha? Well, the stick technically can be used, right? I can threaten. Uh, I can use it to scare the kids. If you guys don't go, right? I can use it. It can be used for something. And yeah, it could be normally used. Would I probably use it? Probably not. I'll probably throw it out and get a new dustpan. So therefore, but still the stick is not considered mukseh. If the dustpan breaks to the point that I cannot use it at all, so then anyway it's mukseh because it cannot be used at all. But if it breaks to the way that I can still some sort of dust, you know, I can still dust the things inside of it, so then it's not mukseh either. Broken mirror, we already explained. Broken mirror has no usage when it breaks, but it's not mukseh because it's dangerous, it's sharp. People could get hurt from it. And finally, if you have a shirt that rips on Shabbat, you probably are not planning to fix it. It's going to have a, you know, a stitch in the middle. It's going to be like a scar. But still, it's not mukseh because it can be used as a shmata.
probably use a rag that they sell for, you know, five for 99 cents. You won't use your undershirt, you won't use your shirt, but it can be used for it. So therefore, according to Nisim Karelitz, that will not become Muqseh. We're going to stop here. Next week, we will have the Halakha hour. I don't know if it's going to be live or not, because we might have to go into the halachot of the holidays, which we have pre-recorded. In any case, if you have any questions that you'd like to call up right now, please call in 718-683-5858, or you can text in 347-927-8398. We want to give thanks to everybody that helped out and everybody that was listening. Thank you. Have a wonderful day and week.